Good afternoon. You are listening to The Stoop on CFRC 101.9 FM, CFRC.ca, and via podcast on Spotify and iTunes. Brought to you by our news team, Alexandra Fernandez, Chancellor Miracle, Chris Laurie, Zayden Vergara, Dinah Jansen, Erica Singh, Alex LaRue, and me, Kareem Mosna. The municipal election is now less than three weeks away. Coming up on October 24th, we will elect our next mayor, district councillors, and school board trustees. Online voting actually opened up as of this morning. Over the next few weeks here at CFRC, we will hear from candidates who are vying for election. We will dive into their platforms and uh, really get a sense of what they'd like to see for this city. Today on The Stoop, I bring you my conversation with mayoral candidate Ivan Stoikovic. So you are running uh, for mayor in the upcoming municipal election on October 24th. Uh, now, I also understand you are running as a member of the uh, People's Platform. Uh, for those not familiar, tell us in essence what it, this stands for. People's Platform for, for uh, Kingston uh, is uh, a platform that uh, uh, me and a bunch of my friends who are all uh, affiliated with the organization called Cataraqua Union of Tenants uh, have come up with. So we're all tenants activists, we're all tenants, and we have been watching the municipal government uh, basically give away all the all the people's money to large landlords and developers who are also Mayor Patterson's campaign donors. And we've been watching the homelessness grow and we've been watching uh we've been watching ourselves having you know uh, getting and being under pressure from landlords to to get evicted and to to have our uh rents raised and so on and we've just we've been organizing the the unhoused we've been organizing the tenants we've been organizing rallies we've been feeding people we've been uh organizing encampment support for for people that are unhoused and uh all this naturally led us to to get involved in the election as well so uh not to be confused with the people's party or or any of the other extreme right-wing uh organizations that that are using the word people uh we are not uh we, we have nothing to do with them we're we're anti-fascist and anti-big uh, uh, business. Uh, and, you know, by people, we mean 99% of Kingstonians who are not landlords and developers and who are not having their needs taken care of by the government. Let's talk a bit about some of the key items uh, on the platform. Uh, rent geared to income housing. Tell me a, a bit more about what you'd like to see. I, I know we, we have seen the emergence of some affordable housing units uh, here in Kingston in, in the recent past. Tell me a bit more about what you as a mayor w- are going to push for with regards to housing. It's very important to to uh, say that. I'm glad you did uh, to, to identify the need for rent geared to income, social, public, uh, democratically, run housing uh, as opposed to affordable housing uh, affordable as defined by uh, the the federal uh, agency in charge of defining these things officially 
Canada Mortgage Corporation and Housing Corporation means 80% of average market rent. So it's literally, it literally means the opposite of what it, what it sounds like. Affordable means unaffordable. When, when uh, council members or mayors say uh, affordable, that they've built affordable housing, what they mean is that they've invested money in unaffordable housing. So um, that's why it's really important to talk about rent geared to income housing because that is actually affordable housing. So that has been uh, getting torn down and, and barely replaced. Uh, rent geared to income housing is not, has not been uh, on the agenda of the, of the current council. And that's why we have it in our platform because we wanna make it very clear that our uh, intention is to build housing that is uh, not privately owned. The, and by that, I mean, not, not even owned by these nonprofits such as the, the, these little tool sheds that they call tiny homes and so on. Uh, no, pub publicly owned, city run, municipally run, uh, the bottom line here is, you know, we want to build housing that that is actually affordable for people. We want to build housing that will uh, that will actually house unhoused people, uh, people who do not have income or who have income of three hundred dollars, which is uh, uh, which is homeless allowance or whatever, seven hundred on on Ontario Works, uh, a little bit over a thousand dollars on. Ontario Disability Support Program, those people cannot absolutely not afford to have a roof over their head and they are homeless and they are in precarious situations and they're sleeping on couches of their friends and family. And these people need to, to have dignified real apartments and those need to be rent geared to income uh, and those need to be their own. They, they need to feel a sense of uh, ownership over these places and they need to have uh, control over how these places are run. Okay, Th thank you for sharing on that topic. Now, I also understand uh, you're pushing for free public transit. Absolutely, there's a bunch of other things that look, the, the government, municipal government needs to serve the people. You know, people of Kingston uh, have the right to, to breathe, you know, people, of Kingston have the right to, to have a roof over their head they and they should have the right to get around. Um, so, you know, public transportation being free and being vastly improved and, and adding lines and adding frequency of, of routes uh, uh, is, is really important because not only will it make it possible for, for people who, you know, need to get to their appointments or whatever need to go, people who are, who are being you know, pressed by by the inflationary pressures all over the place, uh, it will help them. You know, reduce that, not have to buy a car, not have to buy gas, and so on. So it will it will make life more affordable to uh, for for the great majority of Kingstonians. But it will also save us from from burning down the burning down Mother Earth, which is what's going on again under this uh, developer friendly um, regime. You know, um, they're building suburbs as as if it's 1950s. They're, they're, these suburbs are full of houses with double garages, and and uh, you know everyone seems to have a pickup truck or, or or an SUV. You can stand on the 
corner or any corner in the city and count uh, the amount of of cars, regular, you know, uh, small cars versus SUVs and pickup trucks. I've done this. And uh, you will find that the majority of the cars on the road are, are pickup trucks and SUVs. People are basically competing against each other to be safer. And in the process, what's happening is we, we're widening roads, we're building bridges. I mean, $180 million was spent on this uh, bridge to connect a suburb that was all built you know, in the last uh, few decades since we've known about global warming. So public transit will save the environment. It will make life more affordable for people. Uh, we, we have to do it. We have to keep up with the times. We have to, you know, it, it, in order to survive. It, it all connects uh, with regards to, um, to, to housing, to the environment, uh, to transit. Uh, I also understand in your platform, you touch on uh, expansion of public services. Yeah, a lot of this is just, uh, you know, a matter of, of uh, bringing back the services that, that, that have been cut, you know. Uh, the last few administrations have uh, destroyed many of the, of the uh, departments that, that existed that they were serving uh, the people. So, for example, really good example is is the property standards department. Property standards department used to uh, have, I think, six or so, maybe even more, if we go further back, uh, property standards officers who were trained, you know, in in enforcing property standards rules, and who were dedicated to doing so. Uh, they fired them all, and now, you know, bylaw officers. Are, are made to, to do the job of property standards officers. So, you know, we will bolster the property standards department, we will hire property standards officers, we will make sure that, you know, no tenant uh, uh, complaint is being uh, ignored, and we'll make sure that, uh, you know, so in addition to that, uh, as a Cataraqua Union of Tenants, we what we did last winter was we, we organized a food program whereby we were cooking, somebody was cooking uh, a healthy meal every day for, for all the uh, homeless people that were gathering around the Integrate Care Hub. And we were delivering food daily there. The cost of that program to our organization was literally zero because uh, people basically donated their time and money for these meals, and and they uh, they cost us on average about fifty bucks uh, per meal. So we managed to feed hundred hungry people for almost nothing every day uh, through the winter. What that made us realize is that that it would really be very cheap and and not a big burden on a public purse to 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 do this on a larger scale so so we propose we will uh, introduce a food program we'll make sure that again because you know food prices have are skyrocketing because it's difficult for people to pay rent because all, most of the people's money has to go as a tribute to to mayors donors uh we will we will provide food for the people and we, we will 
we will hire real you know cooks <laughs> to to do the real proper cooking under proper standards in proper kitchens and so on so it's not going to be free and we're going to pay these people adequately but uh you know the government municipal any government should be serving the people people need food people need maintenance people need uh transportation these are all public these should all be public services that, that should be provided for the people and we will provide them. So people will have food, people will have free services, people will have their maintenance requests answered, people will have their apartments cleaned of bugs, gonna change the bylaw that, that prevents people from being allowed to live outside. We don't want anyone living outside, nobody will live outside uh, if we win. But uh, the first order of business will be to to allow people if they so choose to to live outside so nobody will get kicked out of from their tent uh, uh on the first day that's the first thing we're gonna do so same same with you know this this bylaw has to change uh the, the, the we will force landlords to to treat buildings as as a whole if they don't we will take their buildings we will expropriate them because no no landlord should have the right to to uh to make tenants live with uh, bed bugs and cockroaches. Ivan, thank you very much uh, for taking some time to share your platform today. Thank you. That was my conversation with mayoral candidate Ivan Stokovic. In the coming weeks, we'll hear from more candidates in advance of Election Day on October 24th. Now, it's over to Campus Corner with Zayden. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Campus Corner. I'm Zayden Vergara. It's time for your campus news headlines. If you've recently driven on the Queen's University campus, you've definitely noticed the construction at JDUC. This is part of the JDUC reconstruction project and is costing the university approximately $60.2 million. The building is also the first of a new generation of green buildings that Queen's University plans to build, integrating advanced energy modeling with renewable materials. Yesterday, on October 4th, Principal Patrick Dean issued a statement condemning the violent attacks occurring in Iran following the death of an Iranian woman caused by the oppressive dictatorship, stating that we must condemn in the strongest terms any government that threatens to extinguish what is at the core of any university, free thought, and we must stand up for equity, justice, and an end to intolerance. He continued by stating that for Queen's students and colleagues directly affected by this conflict, the university has supports in place to assist, and urges people to please use them. Students around the country have been taking to the streets to challenge the inequality of the Iranian government. Principal Dean's powerful statement reinforces Queen's University's belief in free thought and calls upon all members of the Queen's community to support the Iranian people in any way they can. Being a student or faculty member comes with many challenges, stressful deadlines, and what feels like mountains of work. This week is Mental Health Awareness Week and it runs from October 2nd to 8th. It is an annual national public education campaign to open the eyes of Canadians to the reality of mental health. Queen Student Wellness is committed to aiding students through difficult times by providing counseling services and wellness groups. If you're feeling overwhelmed and are looking for a great way to de-stress, look no further than Dogs on Campus. Every Wednesday from 12 to 1 p.m., the St. John's Ambulance Therapy Dog, Oscar the Golden Retriever, can be found on the first floor atrium in Mitchell Hall. Now over to CFRC's Erica Singh, who is now joined by the new SGPS trustee. I am now joined by Tony Hu. Tony was appointed as the graduate trustee of the Society of Graduate and Professional Studies here at Queen's University. So congratulations on your election to trusteeship for the SGPS. What inspired you to run? 
so the when I was doing my uh, undergraduate studies at the University of Toronto, um, I was engaged in uh, sort of similar activities. So uh, for instance, uh, I had a chance to be on the Arts and Science Council, which is uh, at the University of Toronto, the governing body for the Faculty of Arts and Science. And council, I was able to engage with the um, various uh, decanal staff. So that's the dean, the vice deans, the associate deans, as well as the various uh, chairs of the departments that are covered under the Faculty of Arts and Science. And I thought that it was uh, a really uh, great experience in the sense that um, in student government, students are often uh, rightfully complaining about the issues that they experience uh, at the university. However, I find that uh, advocacy can be a little bit uh, slow. And when you're talking to other students, you're able to get a lot of uh, great feedback from students. But sometimes it can feel like you don't really have an outlet to express that feedback. And I find that being on governance, uh, being a decision maker, uh, sitting at the table with uh, university decision makers, it seems that you're able to have an outlet for, for um, constructive feedback. Um, and I think the second part is I really believe in going out and uh, finding opportunities and, and really reaching for opportunities when they feel right. And in this situation, I really did feel right because uh, while I'm quite new to Queen's University, I've only been here for a month. Um, the SD, or sorry, the graduate student trustee serves a two-year term. And I thought it was really perfect as a new medical student that the two-year term perfectly lines up with my two pre-clerkship years where I would be in Kingston and have uh, a bit of a more set schedule uh, versus if this opportunity had come up at any other time in my uh, education, then it would overlap with my clerkship years where I might not be in Kingston and I might not have a really uh, clear schedule and um, that would actually prevent me from, from taking on this opportunity. Tony, I'm not sure many of our listeners are aware of what an SGPS trustee actually does. So what does your role entail? Okay, so the graduate student trustee is one of three students that sits on the Queen's University um, Board of Trustees. So if we think about the governance structure at Queen's University, um, very at the very high level, it's broken down into the Board of Trustees and the Senate. Uh, the Senate is where uh, academic matters are considered, so things like degree level expectations, things like the courses that are being offered, uh, and, and things like that, whereas the board deals more with the overall functioning of the university, in particular with all those non-academic matters. So on the board, I'm one of three students, uh, the three students being myself, the graduate student trustee, there is an undergraduate student trustee, as well as the rector. So mm -hmm. as one of the students uh, on the board, uh, I um, am in a position where I think my opinion on the, uh, the sort of student experience uh, is uh, very valued by the other board members as I'm sort of closest in proximity to the university and the experience that students are having on the ground here. And I'm able to vote uh, on different motions, um, talking about sort of the finances um, and uh, capital assets of the university. 
for example. So uh, very big picture stuff. Uh, the board considers things like the strategy of the university. So for students who might not know about this, uh, I would encourage you to go to the principal's website and see what um, our principal has set out as his strategic vision and plan for the university moving forward in the next uh, couple of years. Great, thank you. So as we've established, the student trustee spends two years in office during one term. What are your goals during your two years at office? This is a really interesting question because um, I'm not sure that I have a really good answer to it um, because a lot of sort of what's happening now is really um, getting a feel for the board. I think uh, as um, one member of a 22 person board, uh, it can be difficult to say specifically um, what impact I will have as one of the focuses of the board is to make uh, consensus decisions. So decisions where uh, everyone is sort of involved and everyone is on the same page. So often uh, there isn't that much of a sense of, oh, this is what specifically I hope to do. That aside, uh, one thing that I really hope uh, to do is uh, to listen and to, to, to hear from students um, about what challenges they're experiencing and what their priorities are um, and asking uh, questions, uh, really focusing on that uh, listening aspect because as someone who's relatively new to the Queen's University, uh, I think it's really important for me to hear from the communities and the people who are already here as well as people who are new to the Queen's community and hear what their priorities are and what their values are and to integrate those thoughts into my role as a board member. Well, I am so glad to hear that because listening is a very important part of being in student government. So my next question for you is, how do you plan on balancing your first year medical studies, which I'm sure is a very rigorous program, along with your role as the graduate student trustee? This is a really funny question because I think everyone knew that uh, medical education was going to be very intense and very rigorous, except for me. So uh, as you mentioned, it has been uh, a lot of learning uh, just through the, the medical education program. That said, um, there's a couple of things. So I think the first is, is an aspect of personal growth. And then the second is uh, about uh, your priorities. So to speak to the point about personal growth, I think um, throughout my undergraduate studies at my last institution, I really challenged myself and uh, experienced a lot of uh, difficulties and adversities just throughout my sort of academic uh, life and uh, being able to sort of overcome those challenges, uh, it's really built up, I think, a good measure of resilience. So now coming to this position of graduate student trustee and managing the um, expectations of the rule with my um, schooling, that additional resilience that I've built up from my undergraduate education, I think, is really coming in uh, handy so that I'm better able to, to manage both things. The second point I wanted to talk about was about um, priorities. In my undergraduate studies, I was involved in governance and similarly, it was quite a time commitment, uh, a very academically rigorous institution. Uh, but 
in spite of all of that, I really prioritized the work that I was doing in governance because I thought it was so important and so meaningful and so impactful. And uh, importantly, I thought it was also a, a good deal of fun. So I think when you uh, value something, you care about something, you prioritize it. And I think making something a priority, you're able to carve out time from your schedule to, to focus on uh, the work that you're doing. And uh, you're, you're able to manage those responsibilities even though uh, you still have your study. So what advice do you have to students who want to be more involved in the SGPS? So for anyone uh, who wants to be more involved in the SGPS, uh, I really encourage you to uh, get involved. Well, I think all student governments uh, really want to see more engagement from their uh, student community. And in, in that respect, SGPS is no different. So if you want to get involved, um, I believe we still have uh, sort of form, uh, some formal positions that you're able to um, apply for. And uh, we also, though, really want to hear from our students. So if you want to uh, come to any events that the SGPS hosts, um, meet fellow graduate and professional students, um, meet your SGPS executive and our council members, um, meet with me. Those are all opportunities that are available to you. And we, again, we really want to hear from you and your experience as a graduate or professional student here at Queens and uh, get, a, get a better sense of you know, what you care about and also thinking about how you can make an impact um, in the SGPS in some more formal ways, whether it's running in our elections or um, going for those uh, appointed roles. So there's a lot of different ways to um, be involved, uh, but definitely coming out to events um, and even just as simple as you have a voice and making your voice heard by talking to your student leaders um, is a really great way to, to be more involved. And you've mentioned before that for your undergrad, you went to U of T. Both U of T and Queens are regarded as highly acclaimed academic institutions. What is your biggest change you faced while coming to Queens from U of T? I think one of the most visible changes for me is just being the uh, level of um, engagement um, by students with uh, their sort of extracurricular student life at the university. I think the University of Toronto um, at least noticing from some of the, my undergraduate uh, studies there that a lot of people uh, really focused on their studies and uh, there wasn't, I think, socialization that occurred um, sort of outside of the classroom. Whereas at Queens, uh, it really seems that students are uh, taking advantage of um, these formative years to create new networks and to create new connections with their peers. And uh, I see that just happening on the streets of the university, um, but also outside of campus in the wider Kingston community. So that's, I think, the biggest change that I've noticed coming to Queens from the University of Toronto. Is there anything you would look to change or implement at either institution? Well, one thing that I'm really interested in and seeing how Queens develops in the upcoming years is uh, taking on a greater research presence and incorporating more uh, research 
into the undergraduate education here. So I think this uh, very ambitious goal is um, going to bring Queens into, uh, or the vision is to, to make Queens the university of the future. And to do that, I think it's really important to improve uh, the standing of Queens on the international stage. And that involves greater international partnerships and more global engagement. So I'm interested to, to see how Queens develops uh, with its uh, student exchange programs. Interested to see how Queens um, recruits and retains and integrates um, international students uh, with domestic students. And interested to see how the campus culture and climate can be changed to really focus on a greater recognition of global issues and a greater recognition of the diversity of opinions and perspectives um, that come from people who um, are from cultures and communities outside Canada. Okay, well, that's all the questions I've prepared. Do you have anything else to add? My um, contact information um, is trustee, so T R U S. At sgps.ca. So again, that's trustee at sgps.ca. That was my conversation with Tony Hu, the graduate trustee for the SGPS. Thank you so much for joining us here today on the Scoop podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex LaRue reporting to you from CFRC's Sports Desk. We have some great matchups planned for the end of the week and over the weekend to start off your reading week strong. Tomorrow, there will be a men's basketball game against St. Lawrence College. Friday, we'll start off with both soccer teams playing against Nipissing Lakers with the women's game starting at 12 p.m. and the men's game starting at 2.15 p.m. EST. Both games will be held at Richardson Stadium. Later in the afternoon, there will be a women's rugby game against Trent at Nixon Field, a women's hockey game versus Carlton Ravens at the Memorial Center, and lastly, there will be a men's lacrosse game against Carlton in Ottawa. Moving into the weekend now with our Saturday matchups, there are two sailing events taking place in both Montreal as well as New York City. There is also the Carleton and University of Toronto's Golf Invitational happening in Belleville on Saturday. The women's lacrosse team will have a busy schedule with two games in Oshawa versus Trent and Ontario Tech, and the women's field hockey will have two games here at Tyndall Field against McGill at 12 p.m. and 4.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. At 3 p.m. at Nixon Field, the men's rugby team will be playing against the Brock Badgers with the ambition of keeping their undefeated streak going. The men's baseball team have two qualifying games, one against the Carlton Ravens at 2.30 p.m. and another game against Ottawa U at 5.30 p.m., both in Ottawa. Sunday is not as busy, but is still as important for sports with the women's field hockey team having a game against the University of Toronto at home at Tyndall Field at 1 p.m. EST. This Friday, make sure to support your one and only Kingston Frontenacs at their game against the North Bay Battalions. And don't forget that this game will want you to turn back time as it's their 70s night. That's all for me today. I will now pass you on to Chance and Chris for the Islamic History Month segment with an Islamic History Month community member. This is Chris, and today I'm sitting down with Mona Rahman, member of the Islamic History Month committee, to talk about what they have coming up. So to get us started, would you like to introduce yourself? So my name is Mona Rahman, and I'm part of the Organizing Committee for Islamic History Month in Kingston, representing the Islamic Society of Kingston. I'm also on the Islamic History Month Canada National Board, and I believe I've been on there for about two or three years. So that's the board, that's the board that would um, um, decides what, what the theme will be for each year. 
um, and and tries to coordinate some national events when it's possible. Awesome. Yeah. So I will get back to the theme because you mentioned that. Um, <laughs> how did this initiative come into being both in general and in Kingston? So I believe uh, the Canadian Islamic Congress, I believe, um, I should probably look that up, but uh, was the the one who the organization that initiated this. So, um, and back in 2007, Parliament of Canada proclaimed October as being um, Canadian Islamic History Month, it just in recognition of the contributions that Muslims have made in Canada um, for the society. And it's, it's really a time to reflect and learn and appreciate the diversity within Canada's Muslim communities. Um, and, you know, there, there's many contributions from poetry, film, and the arts to spiritual and philosophical knowledge. So Muslims, you know, we've been here for a long time, and we continue to enrich the multicultural and social fabric around the world and in Canada. And one of the the misconceptions is that Muslims are a relatively new group in Canada, but we know that Muslims have been here for, for at least a century. And probably even more. Absolutely. Yeah. And you've mentioned that you've um, worked on Islamic History Month initiatives before. Kingston, actually, we're pretty, um, we've actually been involved in Islamic Month, Islamic History Month Canada from its inception in 2007. So this is the 16th time that the city of Kingston has proclaimed October as Islamic History Month. And it's actually something that we are proud of in that mm -hmm. our little community is one of the few communities that has been involved since the beginning and has consistently been involved with Islamic History Month. For this year, I was wondering if you could speak to this year's theme for Islamic History Month. Okay. So this year's theme is Multicultural Flavors of Muslim Cuisine. The Muslim community is really global. There are Muslims from every part of the, the world. And and it just, you know, the, the cuisine shows when you're talking about Muslim cuisine, it really is a global international cuisine. So the the reason why this theme was chosen was to share the culinary contributions of Muslims to health, wellness, social peace, and societal harmony. And it goes back to the essence of one of the sayings of Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, in that there are blessings and abundance in sharing of food. And another um, saying, it's another thing that Prophet Muhammad had said is that a Muslim is not one who sleeps with a full stomach while their neighbors sleep hungry. I was also wondering if you could talk about a few of the events that you guys have scheduled for this month. Sure. Um, so just sort of dovetailing from that last saying that I said in terms of being aware of what's going on with your neighbors and making sure that your neighbors are not never hungry. The one thing that we're doing in Kingston is, and we are encouraging other communities to do this, is that we are um, holding a food drive. It's called Feed, what was it called? Feed, feed a neighbor from your table. There's a certain type of food that we all tend to donate. And the thing is that it doesn't really reflect the diversity of the cuisine of our community, of the community in Kingston. There are different there are different cultures that have different staples all over the world. And in order to sort of remember that we are sort we are emphasizing that when we're donating food, maybe think about what it is that you like to eat, what's on your table, and pick something up to give to those in need, to give to those who are hungry. So, um, I mean, that's the thing, the diversity in our community is reflected in the diversity of our food. And so why would we 
um, not share that diversity with the food bank. So you guys have the food drive and I know you have a few mm -hmm. other events as well, right? Yes, so it's already started. Um, Islamic History Month Kingston does have a Facebook page. It's at I IHM Kingston. So we will try as the different events from the different organizations that are involved are confirmed, we will be putting those on that. If you're interested in what's happening nationally also, um, the National Committee does have a website. It's islamichistorymonth.ca and you can see what other communities are doing. There are some communities that are having events online, like, like the one that we're having with uh, Murray Hogbin will be online and live stream to various uh, web pages or Facebook pages. And so if you're interested in something, even if it's in another community, you can go ahead and attend that on your own time or live. Awesome. Perfect. So that was all the questions I had for you today. Thank you so much for your time. No problem. Awesome. And now I'm throwing it over to Dinah with the weather. Thanks. And now it's time for the CFRC weather report. Tonight, we're expecting clear skies becoming cloudy near midnight with fog patches developing overnight with a low of 10. Thursday, October 6th, we're looking at cloudy skies becoming a mix of sun and cloud in the morning with a high of 22. At night, we'll expect showers and a low of 7. Friday, October 7th, we're looking at cloudy skies with a 40% chance of showers and a high of 13. And Friday night, cloudy periods with a low plus 1. And the outlook for Saturday is a mix of sun and cloud with a high of 11 and a low plus 3 with cloudy periods at night. And Sunday, we're looking at a mix of sun and cloud with a high of 14 with cloudy periods and a low of 6 that night. And now over to Alexandra Fernandez with the City of Kingston Traffic Report. Thank you so much. I'm Alex and I am bringing you your weekly traffic report for this week brought to you by the City of Kingston. Garrett Street from Division to University will be closed until October 16th. Lowers Brewer Spring Bridge will be closed until further notice. Stephen Street from Montreal to Patrick will be closed until October 31st. And Stephen Street from Patrick to Cowdy will also be closed until October 31st. University Avenue from Union to Earl will be closed as of Monday, October 3rd at 7 a.m. until January 21st, 2023. Wright Crescent from South Intersection of Palace to 16 Palace will be closed until January 31st, 2023 as well. The following streets are closed from 8.40 a.m. to 9.10 a.m. and 3.20 p.m. to 3.50 p.m. on weekdays until June 29th. McDonnell Street from Earl to Hill and Sydenham Street from Ordnance to Colburn. This is as part of the School Streets Initiative and if you have any questions, you can direct them to the Kingston Coalition for Active Transportation at schoolstreetygk at gmail.com. Third Crossing Roadwork on Highway 15 at Gore is still in place. Signage work will be taking along John Counter Boulevard. In the case that a lane needs to be closed for construction, proper flagging will be in place to redirect traffic. Otherwise, both lanes will be open. Road markings on John Counter won't be in place until all the paving is completed mid-October. Lanes on John Counter will be delineated with traffic barrels until road painting can occur. There will be an increase in dump truck traffic on the west side until completion in December. Access from John Counter to Village on the River Apartments is currently shut down. Residents were notified to use their Montreal Street access during this temporary closure to John Counter. Pedestrians will be able to use a temporary access path north of John Counter Boulevard, which will be maintained at all times, and cyclists will be single file on John Counter Boulevard. Proper construction signage for cyclists will be provided. 
Some more delays that you can expect include Front Road from Sand Bay Lane to Country Club Drive. You can expect traffic delays due to a lane reduction to a single lane each direction until the end of 2022. Highway 33 east of Collins Creek Bridge to west of Coronation Boulevard, you can expect delays as well. Jackson Mills Road near the KNP Trail will be reduced to one lane. Johnson Street from Barry to Clergy, you can expect a lane closure until October 3rd. And Sand Hill Road from city limits to 5 kilometers west of city limit, you can expect delays until November 16th. That's your weekly traffic report brought to you by the City of Kingston on CFRC 101.9 FM. And now we are going to throw it over to Dinah for the events calendar this week. Thank you, Alexandra, and welcome to this week's CFRC Community Events Calendar brought to you by queensevents.ca. This Thursday, October 6th at noon, you're invited to a free public lecture called Canaries and Coal Mines, the ER is the Ultimate Healthcare Performance Metric, a talk given by Dr. David Walker of the Queen's Department of Family Medicine and the School of Policy Studies. You can attend this event in person or online via Zoom, and all of the information is available at queensevents.ca. Also this Thursday, check out stand-up comic Jerry D. performing at the Grand Theatre. Tickets are $52 and up, and the show starts at 8 p.m. Don't miss the Queen's Gales in action later this week on Friday at noon. There are back-to-back soccer games at Richardson Stadium, which are both free and open to the public. Also on Friday, the Gales women's rugby team will play Trent University at 7 p.m. on main campus at Nixon Field. Finally, a reminder to all students that the university is closed on Monday, October 10th for the Thanksgiving holiday. Fall reading break starts on Tuesday, October 11th and runs until Friday, October 14th, with classes resuming on Monday, October 17th. For more information on these events and many more, visit queensevents.ca. And of course, CFRC 101.9 FM will host its official plaque unveiling ceremony at Carruthers Hall on Friday at 1 o'clock with Grad Club at 162 Berry Street as our rain location. Join us as well for community and alumni meet and greets at the Grad Club on Friday from 2 to 4 p.m. and Saturday from 4 to 8 p.m. Saturday, October 8th, CFRC will also host a DJ dance party featuring DJ producer and CFRC alumna Cindy Lee, also known as CL, at the Grad Club. Tickets are $15 at the door. Learn more about our centennial celebrations at CFRC.ca and don't forget to donate to CFRC 101.9 FM. Our funding drive launched October 1st and runs through December 31st. Donate on our website at cfrc.ca slash donate now. And that's a wrap for CFRC's events calendar, and that's it for this week for The Scoop. Join us on Monday at 5 o'clock for more in local news on Today in YGK, and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify and iTunes. From all of us on the CFRC news team, have a great week. 